Well, hey, welcome to Momentum. We are in our generous Christmas series and we are chugging along. So I'll pray for us and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for getting us all here safely. Um, God, I ask that uh, today in, in worship, if you have not already, help us have a real authentic experience for you. Have a, have a message tailored for each one of our hearts in your word today. God, I ask that it is, it is not me speaking, but you speaking by the power of your spirit, God. We're thankful for everything that you're going to do, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, some of you might know how this goes, but it's not a good sermon unless it starts with a good Some of you got it. That's a thing I like to do with the Momentum Youth uh, every Wednesday. It's not a good sermon unless it starts with a good story. That's not always true, but that's just what I say because it's fun. So there I was. I was about 16 years old, and I was at one of my first Super Smash Bros tournament. Me and the Mr. Michael Cruz, who led us in some wonderful worship, were at a Super Smash Bros tournament, kicking some butt and trying to take the big prize home. Yeah, there are tournaments all around San Diego, if you didn't know. It's a real thing. Uh, And Michael and I were super into it. And so uh, I went out, me and Michael had planned to be going to this tournament for quite some time now, and uh, my parents said, you can go, but I got one deal for you. You got to be home by 11. I had my, you know, the first, the first license you get, like the, the, the upright one, I don't know, whatever. It says you can't drive past 11, and so, you know, the whole curfew deal anyways. And so, me and Michael were kicking butt. Michael always did better than I did, but that's besides the point. And, and we were going, we were actually doing pretty good, and I won a few, he won a few. I was already out, but he was still going. And uh, the way it worked was I drive to Michael's house, then Michael's parents drove us to the tournament. Then once the tournament was over, we'd go back to Michael's house, I'd take my car back home anyways so I look at my phone it's nine o'clock we're playing a little bit look at my phone again it's 9 30 okay we keep playing look at my phone it's 10 all right hey got an hour got an hour okay hey let's just finish up this game cool all right it's 10 15 it's 10 15 okay hey we're cutting it close we're cutting it close but if you know like my parents aren't gonna get mad if I get home by like 11 07 like that's fine you know but I'm looking and then it ticks another minute, 10, 16, 10, 17. And then Michael loses one of his games and it's time to go. His dad's waiting for us. We hop in the getaway car and we start driving. I got a mission. I got to be home by 11. So we start driving and it wasn't too long before we found out that the highway was closed. And the tournament was about like 30 minutes north. And for about the next eight to 10 exits on the highway, we had to take back streets, stoplight after stoplight after stoplight. And uh, you know, just our luck, every light felt like it was red and that it took five minutes each. Anyways, we were able to hop on the highway for like the last quarter mile. And we finally get off, we get to, to Michael's house and then I hop in my car. Like I've been, I've been hiding the clock. Cause I was like, at least I'll have some hope even if I'm running late, you know, like it could be 1130 already. But if I'm not looking, I still got hope. And so I turn on my car and the clock's right there and I decide to look, ooh, it's 1115. And I still got to drive home. So, I mean, hey man, 
It's 11 p.m., no one's on the streets. So I'm just pedal to the metal. Uh, that was young, dumb Kendall. He doesn't do that anymore. And I get home, I, I, uh, I turn my car off, run in, the door was locked, which is already a bad sign. I, I, get, I get my key, and you do the thing where you pull the door in, and so that way you can unlock it without making the noise. Because when you lock it, it goes chook, but if you pull in, it doesn't make that noise. And so you do that, you're hoping they're asleep already, you open the door, you gently close it, and then the classic like movie thing where you're tip, you're going up the stairs like that, you know? And you, you know, you know what, st what stairs creak and which don't, and so then you just quietly lay in bed. And that's what happened to me. Open the door, quietly go up the stairs, lay in bed. It was like 11.30. I get all snuggled up. I didn't brush my teeth because I didn't want to make any noise. <laughs> get in bed, and all of a sudden my phone vibrates. Look at the phone, dad. You're grounded for a week. I was like, no, 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 and hold on, hold on. Here's the thing though, I would have made it home on time if the highway wasn't closed. And so I texted him, I was like, dad, you don't understand. You don't understand, the highway was closed. We had to take back streets. And so technically it's not my fault because I planned accordingly and we left at the right time, but the highway was closed. So I, I couldn't, we couldn't, you, you get it, you get it. And so he said, sorry, bud, that's just how it goes. And I was like, no, this is dumb. I'm not doing this. I'm not grounded, you're grounded. And he said, cool, two weeks. And this is all over text, mind you. Uh, so two weeks. And I was like, you don't, you don't understand. Like, I don't know when to quit. That's one of my weaknesses. Uh, you don't understand. Okay, so, and it was like trying to explain the math to him. Like, okay, the minutes it takes to get from here to there is like, that's like five. And when there's eight to 10 exits, that's like 50 minutes. You get it, so I can't make it. And he said, if you keep talking, you'll make it four. I was like, oh shoot. I'd never been so upset in my life. I'd never been so upset. My dad's saying, I'm grounded because I was late. I'm telling him it's not my fault. I still really don't know whose fault it is, but I, I, it's not fair. I was late because the highway was closed and he's threatening me to ground me for four weeks. You know what I sent back? Make it six. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I had no idea how much of a savage my dad was until I sent that text. And he said, come downstairs right now. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, I didn't actually think he'd do it. You know, I just kind of did it in the, in the heat of the moment. Anyway, yeah. So I go downstairs and we just have a yelling match. And he's like, well, you were late. And I was like, the highway was closed. And it was just that for like another 15 minutes. We didn't get anywhere. And we you know, just yelling at each other. Good old, good old son yelling at dad, dad yelling at son. You guys know how it goes. Anyways, I go back to, to bed. My head has steam coming off it because I'm so mad. And then I just lay in bed. And, and then I eventually fall asleep, wake up. And then my dad took away the car. So he had to drive me to school. Uh, and so it was the most awkward car ride ever to school ever. Just looking forward. Didn't even look at him. I was like, Grind for six weeks? Yeah, right, whatever, dude. So I get to school. I'm trying to explain the whole situation. I'm like, I'm gonna run away. And they're like, with what car? I was like, I don't know. And so I'm asking people, I'm asking for their points of view. Hey man, was it my fault or was it his fault? Whose fault? Whose fault? And they're like, I mean, like, it's kind of not your fault, but you also like knew you had to be home by 11, you know, one of those things. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, now I'm grinding for six weeks. They're like, huh? You're grounded for six weeks? I was like, yeah, like, what'd you do? And I told them everything that I just told you. And, and then it was, I did that like five different times. Like five, actually, like five different people that I trusted. And you know what they all said to me? You know what they all said? They all had one thing in common. 
they all said, bro, just apologize. Like in that tone of voice, like every single one of them, they're like, you're dumb. What are you doing? Just go apologize. Who cares if you don't think you're wrong? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just go apologize. See what happens. So I, was, so I get thinking, I was like, no, no. And then I get home and it's just awkward. I was like, maybe I should apologize. This is a little weird in this house. I go downstairs. I'm like, dad, come here, sit down. I want to tell you, I'm sorry for being late. You said get home by 11. I was not home by 11. That was my responsibility. Even if the highway was closed, I should have been home on time. And like, it was weird. I almost started crying and I don't know why. I don't know why I almost started crying. And it, he just looks at me, he said, that's all I wanted. At first I wanted you to take ownership, that didn't happen. Now I just wanted an apology. And then I apologized and we hugged. He said, you know what? Hey, you're not even grounded anymore. Hey, here are the keys back. That's all I wanted. So here's what I'm trying to tell you guys. If you ever get grounded, make a really, really big deal about it and then apologize afterwards and you're out of it. It just works like that. Not really, don't do that. I only did it once um, and I don't think it would ever work again. Um, nonetheless, all it took, all of that, all the drama and craziness and, and yelling at each other and whatever, all of that was solved by one thing, an apology. That apology, it wasn't just an I'm sorry. Like first it was heartfelt, yes, that's true. But the apology turned into a bridge. See, me and my dad in that moment, we had a severed connection. It was, I did something wrong, and I don't know, you were mad at me, I was mad at you. We were other, on other sides of this wall. I apologized. That started building a bridge back to one another, and then soon enough, we had our connection restored. Our, my apology turned into a bridge to connect with my dad. And here's where I'm going to pull a little flipperoonie on you guys. Just as my apology turned into a bridge to connect with my dad again, here's what we're going to be talking about today. So does Jesus want us to use our money as a bridge for people to connect with him? Jesus wants us to use our money as a bridge to connect with him. That's what we're going to be talking about today in Luke 16, 1 through 13. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip there. It'll be on the screens here in just a moment. Uh, but uh, while you guys are doing that, I want to fill you guys in on what is going on when we get to this. So this passage, this is a parable of Jesus. A, a parable is a story that Jesus tells to reveal a truth about the kingdom or kingdom living. He oftentimes uses big metaphors or, or examples uh, that communicate the idea he's trying to, uh, to convey. And they're all connected to the kingdom of God and, and how he wants us to live. This one, uh, particularly, is one of the most peculiar uh, parables that I've come across. And, of course, uh, I managed to work my way into uh, one where all the scholars disagree about what this means. And everyone kind of knows what's happening, but, but not really. And everyone kind of has a slightly different view. So we got some fun. Uh, this should be really fun. And we'll see what Jesus has for us. 
Luckily, however, Jesus does some interpreting himself of his own parable. So uh, we, we got that covered. But other than that, there's not mu- too much outstanding context uh, other than the fact that this parable is directed particularly to his disciples. In Luke 15, he was with a crowd, and he was teaching them, giving more parables, and, and, and showing them what the kingdom of God is like. But this one in particular, it seems like he withdraws for a second, and he just wants to speak directly to his disciples. So that's where we are. Luke 16, 1 through 13. Here we go. He said to the disciples, there was a rich man. That's our first character in our parable, our rich man, who had a manager. That's our second character, the manager. And charges were brought to the rich master that this man, the manager, was wasting his possessions. We're not exactly sure what kind of wasting was happening, uh, but somehow a lot of the possessions of the rich guy were at loss by the manager. It's the manager's fault that these possessions were lost That's all we're given. Verse 2, and he, being the rich master, called the manager and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. In other words, you're fired. The manager said to himself, well, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. So uh, here, let, me, let me put this in, in a little bit better terms so we can understand it. The, the manager job that he had for the rich man was kind of like a, a respectable desk job. You know, where you're typing, there's data entry, you see Mike crossing the office. Oh, hey, Mike, there are the kids. He's like, they're good. And you're like, all right. And you just keep going. It comes with a good benefits package. Like, it's not exactly the best thing in the world, but, it, you know, it gets the job done. Uh, it, it was a respectable desk job. But he's about to get fired. He's not fired yet. Keep that in mind. He's not fired yet. He's, he has one task to collect his account of the managing. But as the eminent firing is coming, he has an eye towards the future. Okay, I'm about to get fired. All my benefits, all my money, everything, even the place to live, because he would be able to live at the rich manager's house, is about to be gone like that because he mishandled some funds. So, okay. What am I gonna do, says the manager. He mentions digging and begging which in those times were, were a couple of the most undignified, unsecure, low-paying jobs, uh, and they were usually reserved for, uh, for servants. Uh, I'd, I'd equate begging and digging to like being a, a roadkill scooper-upper or like a porta-potty cleaner. Uh, you, you know, like you don't, you gotta be pretty low to be applying for those jobs. Like nobody goes on Indeed and says, mmm, porta-potty cleaner, that's me. Hey, Roadkill scooper, that's me. That's, not, that's nobody's dream job. Like, nobody wakes up and says, I want to scoop up Bambi's dead mom today. Like, that just doesn't happen. You know, and so nobody wants to be there. Nobody's dream job is porta potty cleaning or roadkill scooping or digging or begging. It was on those same levels, it was, it was down to the low. Nobody wants to be there, they just end up there. 
But here's the kicker. You ready? He's like, I can't even do that. Digging, I'm too skinny. He says he's weak. Begging, I'm too embarrassed. I don't want to beg. He didn't have much going for him. He can't even do the lowest of the low because all he knows is his little manager job, but he wasn't good at that, obviously, so he's got nothing. No options available. So he needed to make something happen. And that's where things get fun for us and for him. He needed to make something happen. So he gets thinking. We see that in verse 4. I have decided what to do. I've come up with a plan so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. I have a plan. I have a plan. I have a plan to make sure I've got somewhere to go once I'm fired. I'll have nothing, but if my plan goes just like I want it to, I'll be all right. All right. Let's see this plan, Mr. Manager. Verse 5, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. As Jesus is telling this to the disciples, their jaw would have dropped a little bit. See, he was, he was taking that bill that, that the debtors owed to the rich master, and he was giving them some crazy Black Friday deals. If you went Black Friday shopping, you know how great they were. Sierra and I saw a deal at Vans. It was $20 off a pair of shoes. It doesn't sound like much, but that's great for Vans. It was 40% off all apparel. Like, you just want to go and shop, but we didn't, and we missed out on the deal. It was kind of a bummer, and I regret it a little bit. However, these guys did not. They saw the Black Friday deal. They saw the, oh, 50% off? Yeah, I, I'll go sign it right now. Hey, don't worry about it. They just inked it right then and there, called it good, handed it to the manager, and the manager was like, thank you. And the same thing for the wheat guy. Hey, 20% off for your wheat debt. Hey, sounds good to me. I was planning on paying the whole thing. Guess the whole thing, hands it to the manager. It's good to go. Here's what's happening. The rich master doesn't know this is happening. The rich master is still expecting all the funds from these people. He's expecting the full measure of oil and the full measure of wheat. He's expecting to be loaded from these guys. But the manager, in his crafty plan, as we find out more about this, makes it very intentional to give them some discounts. I'm a sucker for discounts. See, but the disciples' jaws would have dropped because this manager had already been messing with the livelihood of the master, of the rich master. He already, he already squandered all the good stuff that the, that the rich guy had, and now he's intentionally and knowingly going in again to squander more for his own sake. See, the question is, why the heck did he give him discounts? What does that do? See, all the debtors owed the rich master however much they did, but the manager, in hopes to build goodwill with these debtors, in hopes to make connections, in hopes to build relationships with the people who owed the rich master, he's like, hey, I'll cut you a sweet deal if you let me live at your house for a little while. 
It was one of those things. It was like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. You only pay half if you let me you know, just hang out until I get on my feet, one of those deals. In between verses 7 and 8, which we'll get to in just a second, see, up until this point, the rich master doesn't know what's happening. He's just hanging out. He's about to fire this dude. All he knows, hey, once I get my ledger from you, you're done. He doesn't know. But then in between verse 7, where we're at now, and verse 8, the rich master at some point finds out. See, and it's one of those where it's like, I know it's already on the screen, but just play along. What do you think's going to happen? Like, the, the rich master's like, okay, all right, well, I'm, you know, you're fired and I'm taking your clothes. You know, like one of those things where, hey, you know, like just to bury him. Just absolutely, I'm going to tell every rich other person over here that you're a bad manager. One of those, like, you don't expect what's about to happen. We get into verse 8. The master, what did he do? Commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Well, what? The master commended. He, he, he like was like, good job for his shrewdness. I had to look this one up. I don't know what shrewdness means. It means clever, cleverness, intentionality, thoughtfulness. After being backstabbed twice, the master still says, hey, good, hey, that was a good one, to the manager for his shrewdness. See, you want to know why this was so stinking wise by the, by the manager? Like, why would, like, this was checkmate before the manager, even, or before the master even knew. See, the rich master, for the debtors, the debtors don't exactly know what's going on. They just saw 50% off. They're looking first at the rich master, and they're giving him credit for like 90% of this. Like, man, that rich master is awesome. And then the public would hear about it, and they'd be like, dang, hey, that rich master is pretty awesome, isn't he? The rich master is not going to take that away. And if, in fact, it's a deterrent for him to go back and collect the debt that was wrongfully taken from him. Not only that, but the manager is able to build connections so that way he can't be buried. He has a place to go. It was a very, very clever plan. In fact, the master was impressed. He was put in checkmate. It worked out so well for the manager, and the master could not do anything but applaud. Guys, that is literally the whole parable. And if I were to stop there, we'd walk home with just question marks all over our faces because we don't know what the heck's going on. And that's why, that's why Jesus is here. Because he interprets it for us. So there's the manager screwing up all the resources that the rich guy had. And then he did it again. And he actually found a place to stay, even though he was going to get fired. And then the rich, the, the rich master was actually like, good job. That's what we get. Jesus begins to explain it in the latter half of verse 8. For the sons of this world, the disciples would have understood that as unbelievers. And then in a second you'll see sons of light. That's also a disciple talk for believers. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons 
of light. Here, we're establishing, we're, we're building the foundation of the main principle that Jesus is trying to construct here. The thing he wants us to get. Uh, Jesus is establishing the whole point. He's showing to his disciples how intentional, how clever, how shrewd, even though wicked, unbelievers are with their resources in order to accomplish their own interests. It was just a whole bunch of back and forth, like people sitting against each other, warfare, hey, you know, nothing's wrong in love and war, or however that goes. And, and people were just backstabbing and being mad at each other and then, and then lying and deceiving. But Jesus uses this to say, look, it was still a masterful plan nonetheless. And he even says that they are more shrewd than the sons of light. They are more. They are more intentional, thoughtful, clever with the resources and money that they've been given to accomplish their will. He, he, he wants to paint this picture and say, look at that. Even they, even they are incredibly intentional with what they've been given to accomplish all of their own selfish ambitions. And then in verse 9, he kind of turns towards his disciples and says, here's what I want you to do with this. I tell you, he says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you may receive, uh, they, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Here's what he's saying. Translation. Translation time. I tell you, I tell you, disciples, have the same level. You saw that intentionality I just showed you. You saw the cleverness and, and, and thoughtfulness. I want you to have that same wit about you, but for the kingdom of God. I want you to take what I have given you. I want you to take your money, your resources, and be clever with it. Be thoughtful, just like they were, but in a righteous, God-honoring way. Jesus is telling them to act with the same level of intentionality. He wants them to build bridges. You see that? Make friends. Make friends for yourself. I personally take that quite literally. I think it's fun, too. Like, you could tie that back into the parable, but I think Jesus is kind of doing a double whammy here where he is quite literally saying, for the kingdom of God, use your finances, use your resources to go make friends. That is how you're going to be witty. That's how you're going to be clever. That's how you're going to be shrewd with your resources. Because guess what? There isn't a kingdom of God without people in it. Go make friends and build bridges for people who are far from God. Use what you have been given and make friends. And then in the, in the latter half of verse 9, that they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Let, let that just be a reminder that the way that money is spent on earth has an effect in eternity. 
See, make friends, go build bridges in, in, for the gospel, but let me remind you that when you do that, that has an effect on someone's eternity. They might come to know Jesus because of the way you have decided to use what God has given you. I like the way that the, the New, New Living Translation puts it, the NLT. It, it says this in quotations. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. I couldn't put it more straightforward than that, but because uh, I'm a youth pastor, I have to make it like an alliteration of some sort. Uh, so I spent a long time thinking about this. <laughs> Here it is. Here's what I'm getting at today. Here's the main point. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. Turn your bucks into bridges. Guys, I had a youth pastor moment where I was like, I could easily, I could easily. Okay, hold on. Let me explain this first. Bucks, like money, bucks, like money, like dollar bills. You get it. Like 20 bucks, $20. You get it. Into bridges, into, you know, bridges. You could even, if, if, if this is a month youth, I might do a hand movement. Like turn your bucks into bridges, something like that. But anyways, I could have easily done like the, you know, like pirate's booty, like they would call treasure, like booty, like you get it. Like turn your booty into bridges. But then bridges is also like a synonym for kind of like underwear. And so if I had booty and underwear in the same phrase, just wouldn't have turned out well. Matt said I made a wise move by making this bucks. <laughs> but I still kind of brought it up, so. <laughs> yeah. Am I wrong? Are you wrong? No, you're grounded. You get it. Turn your... Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, turn your bucks into bridges. Turn your dollar bills, turn your resources into bridges for the gospel to connect with people so that they might connect with God. See, there would have been an extremely easy temptation for the disciples to fall into. You know what that would have been? One that I fall into all the time? We need more money. Jesus, we need more money. See, the, the disciples, they would have been traveling around while they're following Jesus. They wouldn't have exactly had jobs locked down. They would have having to find food from each city that they go to traveling with Jesus. Jesus even says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. They didn't even have a home. They're walking around. If you think they had money, you are wrong. They were broke as a joke. They lacked just about every kind of security there could have been. It could have been easy for them to look at each other and say, man, we need, if we just have some more money, we can could, we could meal plan. We can meal prep this whole thing. If we just had more money, hey, we could rent out a hotel for all of us for just a little bit. But anyone who's been around long enough knows that if you spend too much time focusing money, focusing on money rather, it does this thing where it starts to corrupt your soul a little bit. The more you focus on money, the more you start looking at how you can start making more money. And when you start 
looking at how you can start making more money, you're soon doing the things that make you more money all the while following Jesus is in the past and all you're concerned about is making more dough, especially for the disciples who are living this nomadic lifestyle. They're living meal to meal. They, not, they're not even, they don't even know what they're going to be eating next. They could easily forget what the role of money and resources is in the kingdom of God. Jesus wanted to make it clear to the disciples. Turn your bucks into bridges, O Peter, O John, O Judas. Turn your bucks into bridges. The role of money in the kingdom of God is to make heaven crowded. Take your dollar bills and make bridges for the gospel so that people might find Jesus. And I'm going to say this probably about like 30 more times by the end of the day so that way you're walking home and you can't get it out of your head. So just expect that. Jesus goes on uh, in verses 10 through 13, perhaps answering a few lingering questions and, and further explaining how this works. One who is faithful and very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And if they have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust them to you or who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We don't have time to dig into all of this. I could spend hours just picking apart that. But I'll give you a quick summary. When you use your resources to serve God, when you use your resources to build bridges for the gospel, he makes sure you have the resources to do it. He keeps providing opportunities and resources for you to continue to serve him. Let me put that in one small sentence. God enables his servants. See, Jesus makes it clear to his first century broke, nomadic, financially insecure disciples that money is simply a tool for those who serve God. He encourages them to use it to build connections, bridges, as we're going to call it this morning, with others in hopes that they will connect with God. Turn your bucks into bridges. Now, it's not too hard to walk this into our 21st century life. See, here's the thing. A lot of us are probably much more stable than the disciples Jesus is talking to. A lot of us probably know what we're eating right after church. You're thinking about that Chipotle. Are you thinking about that Carl's Jr.? You better not go to Carl's Jr. on a Sunday. You know, can't go to Chick-fil-A. That's all right. The disciples, they're figuring it out. You know where you're going to lay their, your head tonight. The disciples probably didn't. Some of you are doing meal preps, like I mentioned, where you know, you know what you're eating Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, up until like three Fridays from now because you bought all the chicken and it's just sitting in your freezer. Like me and Sierra, that we have so much chicken in our freezer. <laughs> we are much more financially stable. We're secure. Way more so than the disciples themselves. If Jesus could call them to use what they had, the little that they had, to turn their bucks into bridges, how much more 
is Jesus calling us, who probably have quite a bit more bucks than they do, to turn our bucks into bridges. Let me tell you, I bet us as a church family could build a lot of stinking bridges with the bucks. We can get a lot of people into heaven with the way we decide to use our resources. God does not just give us money to have fun. He gives us money as a tool for the kingdom of God. Because we're a lot more stable, I think we have a lot more opportunity to turn our bucks into bridges. And can I tell you why that's important? Some people's eternity will be affected by how well you follow this teaching of Jesus. There are people out there who are lost, who are hurting, who are looking for something, who are just wandering around waiting for something to get a hold of them. How baffled do you think they would be when they see our radical generosity shining in their face? In a world that says, I need more money. What message do you think it would send to them saying, I don't care? I'm turning my bucks into bridges. You need more money? I have a God in heaven who has eternal riches, who has eternal love, who has eternal grace. He sees me. He sees you. That's enough for me. That's enough for you. How shocked do you think people would be? Don't forget that he was the first bridge builder. Don't forget that there was the infinite chasm between us and God that's called sin, and then Jesus came down and died on the cross for us. That chasm doesn't exist anymore. Better yet, he built a bridge over that infinite chasm. We are washed clean by the blood, and we get to walk our way over into the presence of God because he died on the cross for us. Jesus is calling us to be mini bridge builders, just like he was, by building bridges with our generosity so people might find Jesus. How can I build gospel bridges? That's the question. That's the question we're asking today. How can I build gospel bridges? How can I turn my bucks into bridges? The short answer? A lifestyle of radical generosity. That's out. People will be shocked by the way you use your money. Creates opportunities to share, hey man, I know a God who has everything we need in heaven and he gives it to me when he sees fit. If you have the opportunity to bless someone with your bucks, do it. Build that bridge. It could be easy as buying someone a coffee, as regularly giving to a... Charity, a church, a ministry, whatever. Funding something that goes out and builds bridges. It could be as easy as buying a young broke couple dinner. I'm not talking about me and Sierra. However, that would be nice. But as a church, we believe in this. We've seen it work in the lives 
of all of us and the people around us. We know generosity truly makes a difference in your heart and in your relationship with God. When you make these bridges, it doesn't only change them, it changes you. And lucky for you, we have made an easy way for us to get started. Maybe you already started, just an easy way to continue this generosity journey to use your bucks to build bridges. That's why we're doing our big Christmas give. It'll be up there. Bam! Wow, that worked. Our big Christmas give, 2022. That's where we're collecting from now up until the end of the year. And we're taking 100% of everything that we get and we are putting it towards one giant project of ours. See, this offering is going to fund a project where we will be sending food to hungry people all around the world. We're going to be sending winter care packages to elementary schoolers who don't have everything they need. They didn't have a jacket, now they'll have a jacket. They didn't have gloves, now they'll have gloves. Their head gets cold during recess, we're going to give them a dang beanie. We're going to be providing special gift bags to an emergency pregnancy care uh, building facility. There it is. A crisis pregnancy center where young women who are pregnant and are considering all their options found their way into this. And there will be a gift bag for momentum waiting for them saying, we see you, we love you. And we know a God who sees you and loves you. We chose these particular set, uh, these, these particular groups, these people groups, because they all know pain. And they all know darkness. And we want to be the light. We want to turn our bucks into bridges for them and bring the light of the gospel into their lives so that we might get to see them in heaven one day. In order to fund this project, we ran some, ran some calculations. We came to the conclusion that if everyone at Momentum, middle school age and up, sixth graders are considered middle schoolers here, yes, if everyone gave 77, 77, then we will be able to fully fund this project. We'll be able to cast the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the world around us. And here's the thing, we're gonna say, Matt said this last week, I'm gonna say it this week. If you see 77, 77, and you're in sixth grade, and you're like, oh shoot, I promise you have some video games that you haven't touched in like two years. That you could go sell at GameStop for like, Six bucks or something. If you do enough of those, you got 77, 77. There are some of us on the other end of the spectrum who see 77, 77, and are like, I got that on my wallet right now. Like, bam. Hey, I'd encourage you guys. If you're like, I could blow this out of the water, add a couple sevens. (laughs) It's not that hard. You get it. Seventy-seven, seventy-seven. 
In the new year, we're going to be getting all the supplies we need, and we're going to be coming together on an actual Sunday, and we're going to be taking all the supplies and actually putting our hands to it. We're going to be putting together these gift baskets. We're going to be putting together the food. We're going to be putting together the care packages for the crisis, uh, pregnancy crisis center. And, and we're actually going to be sending it out together as a church. We want to get our wallets in it, but we also want to get our energy, our hands in it and serve people like Jesus is asking us to. I, got, uh, I want to end with this and I'll make it real quick. I've been on the receiving end of this and I know how impactful this is. I know how it can change a life. A little over a year ago, we were at a middle school ministry called Middle School House. It was Momentum Zone. And uh, we, were, we, were, we were going through it a little bit. It was a time marked by insecurity, doubt. We were a small ministry and so I always felt like it was my fault. There were outside circumstances that I couldn't control that were just pressing down on me. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I was putting all the blame on myself for the way I felt the ministry was going. Uh, so for, for some of you who know him, Jeremy, he saw that. A former pastor here. He saw that. And he texted me one Wednesday night said, Kendall, I see how hard that is. Can I take you and your student team out to dinner tonight after middle school house? Like, yeah, sure. Like, what? You thinking like Chick-fil-A, Rice and Canes? What? He's like, no, 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 no. Pick something for real. What? And the, the student team and I, we all looked at each other and we're like, Cheesecake Factory? Cheesecake Factory is bougie for me. It tops red lobster. And so we get there, we all show up at Chick uh, Cheesecake Factory, we're sitting down, we're looking at the menu, like, ooh, like everything's a little over $20, you know, like, ooh, I don't know, like, I don't want to break his bank. And then, and then one of, one of uh, the leaders just breaks the ice, just breaks the ice. The waiter comes up, hey, what can I get for you guys? He says, I'll take the steak, Diane, and the key lime cheesecake, please. And the, guy, the waiter was like, you want them both right now? He's like... You can give me the cheesecake later. I'll take the steak, Diane, right now, though. And so all of us were like, hey, I'll take the uh, popcorn shrimp, please, with a Diet Coke and a piece of cheesecake. And there were four of us at the time, and we all just went crazy. And, man, it was just a, it was a Jeremy wasn't even doing nothing. He was playing games on his phone the whole time, and that's just who he is, if you know who he is. And I love him to death for it. But it wasn't even the fact, like, it was a great meal. It was yummy. And I filled my belly. It was a meal I didn't have to worry about. But below that was, hey, Kendall, I see what you're going through. I see how hard your student team is working, and I see the things you can't control. It's hard. It feels dark, and you're scared. Kendall, can I just bless you? Can I give you some light? Can I give you some hope? Can I just buy a cheesecake factory? He bought us Cheesecake Factory. I didn't look at the bill. I just saw him hand over the card. And I was like, thank God for Jeremy Jones. Jeremy turned his bucks into bridges for me. Jesus is encouraging us. Let's turn our bucks into bridges for the world around us.
77? 77. That's what I got for you guys. I'll pray for us and we'll worship some more. You guys can stand with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, I just, I ask that uh, you give us courage to be generous. Use it as a tool to grow our faith in you. God, help us grow in a deeper love for you. God, and bless our Sunday. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.